In a couple of weeks, May 15th, we're going to start something really cool. On May 15th, we're going to start a, a new teaching series on, we're just calling it church. We're just calling it church. You know, I think a lot of times, I don't know about you, but uh, this might be your first time to be back for a while, and, and, and that's glad. We're, we're glad you're here today. This might be your first time to be back. Maybe, maybe you, you today is one of those days that, that you know, you're thinking, man, I, I need to be back in the family of God. But I think a lot of times we get a little, little, maybe a little misconception, or maybe sometimes we get disenfranchised with church. Sometimes we don't understand what God meant for church to be. We're going to take a deep dive into what the church is and what the church is not. And I think it's going to be a really cool time to explore a lot of that stuff together. The last thing I want to say to you this morning, let me show you an invite here on the screen. Uh, we, and Give Us Franklin is a movement that, that the Lord put on our heart. We, we've been asking God to give us our town. Hey, God, give us Franklin. It started out as a prayer, and, and that prayer kind of evolved into more of a strategy. How do we reach our town, and how do all of us reach our, our people with the gospel? And so Give Us Franklin has real extensions, and here's something coming up in a few weeks. Let me show you this next image. This is a, you can actually take your phone. You know, if you want to take your phone right now, you can scroll, you know, zoom that thing in on that QR code, and it'll take you right to a registration April 28th. Let me tell you what that's about. We've been working with a group called Generational Forces. This is a company that helps, helps you retain, attract and retain millennials. You know, the millennial generation is huge. It is growing in the workforce uh, by leaps and bounds. But we, there's a lot of things that come with that. And, and working with millennials, what we want to figure out is, you know, that generation, listen, I, I'm a Gen Xer, all right? If, all you that are millennials in here, wait, it, it'll, it'll, it'll pass. You're getting all these labels that we, I got them too, you know, we had them, man, we were called, you know, my granddaddy said things about things that I wore, and, you know, uh, jams is one of them, if you ever remember jams. Only the 80s people are laughing at jams. They were hideous. Uh, imagine Hawaiian printed shorts with a matching shirt. Um, those were cool at one brief moment in time, uh, you know. But um, we, no, the, the reality is the millennial generation obviously views the world different. That's not a bad thing, y'all. Listen, one thing at Clearview that we're trying to figure out, I'm serious about it. One thing at Clearview we're trying to figure out is how do we reach the next generation? Because God put the next generation on this planet for a reason. Amen? For a reason. They have purpose and they have worth. And we want to figure out not just how we hire them and use them. Because without the next generation, folks, there's no Clearview. Without the next generation, without the, uh, the ability to understand, and they're going to think different, and we're going to have to adjust. We're going to have to figure out how that works. But how this thing works on this business leaders luncheon is a lot of you are in the marketplace. A lot of you are executives, mid-level management. This is really important. A lot of you are leaders in the marketplace. A lot of you men and women, you, you have staffs that you work with, but we know that the millennial generation as a whole, there's a lot of turnover going on right now. And this group can help you figure out how to attract and retain. And we're using this as an outreach. It's part of our Give Us Franklin movement. How, how, so we're going to bring in these, these leaders from generational forces. So if you are in the marketplace and you are interested in retaining and attracting the next generation of talent... What we're asking you to do is go and register for that and bring some of your business leaders with you. If you're a small business owner, come to that. This is our way of trying to offer up a lunch and learn type environment where we can go into 
to our, our, our town and offer some real hope on how to make the next generation be all that God wants them to be. So, man, that's a big, big opportunity, and I really hope you take advantage of that, okay? Well, today, let's get into the Word of God, and thank you again for, for being here. We're going to talk a little bit about Foundations for Freedom. We've been in this series on freedom. We did Keys to Freedom in the first part of the, of the, the year, and since that time, we have really worked hard on trying to figure out what does freedom in Christ look like? What does it look like for you and I? Jesus said a lot about freedom. He talked a lot about freedom. So what does that actually look like in, in, in real time? Uh, let, me show you, let me show you a picture of something that is near and dear to my heart, okay? That, that was the first iPhone, okay? Um, uh, it really was. Uh, when, I remember when I was a, a little boy, my, my daddy uh, at, at, at my dad's golf course, they, we, had, uh, we had that. You actually took videos on those things, and, and, it was, and they, were, they weighed like 700 pounds. That's why you had to put them on your shoulder. Uh, but, but that thing was really cool because for the first time, for the first time ever, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever been a student of anything, no matter what you like to learn, whether it's sports or business or anything, you like to learn history, you hear a lot of theory, right? You hear a lot of theory, but, man, when you can see something... When you can actually put your eyes on something, it's a game changer, right? If you, you can study history all day long, but until you go to Gettysburg, it changes for you. One of my friends said, you know, I'd read the Sermon on the Mount so many times, but he said, when I stood on the Mount and actually read the sermon out loud, I could never read it the same again. When there's something about seeing something with your eyes. And I remember growing up with those, with those camcorders, man. And for the first time, you know, for, for me, the golf swing went from being something that you studied and read about to like, oh, you know, you can actually see what you're doing wrong. You can actually see what you're doing right. There's something about the, the ability to, to see something. That's why I think we love YouTube so much, man. Anybody got any YouTube fans in here? Man, you can get lost. Y'all are all lying. You can, get, you can get lost in YouTube, man. Like, you ever like, oh, I'm just going to watch a few for a minute, right? I'm just going to watch after dinner, and then you fall asleep, and you wake up at like 2.30 in the morning, and the, the thing's still playing in your ear. But, and that's never happened to me. What I'm saying is for y'all, that, that happens all the time. You can, you can watch, you know, I can, man, you want to watch anything. You can learn anything. You, there, there's really no more excuse not to know something. You know that YouTube is the, the, the second largest, I think, second largest search engine, search engine, second to Google. How do I install gutters, right? How do I whatever, right? When you see something, we like to, I think you can finally understand it. So let me ask you a question. I say all that for a reason. Why do you think that Jesus came in bodily form? Jesus said this uh, about himself in John 8. Here's, here's the verse. We're not gonna, this is not our key verse this morning. We're going to be going to Philippians 2 in a minute. But he said, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. So, so let me tell you, why, let me ask you that question again. Why do you think Jesus came in bodily form? That's a really, it's a really important question. See, I, I think for so many people, the gospel is transactional. Meaning that if, if it was just about Jesus going to a cross and coming out of a grave, he could have done all that in like an hour. Or, or maybe even faster. Who knows how fast he could do that. 
So I put these two images up here for a reason. We had a Monday, Thursday service that was very interactional. We're even going to do it even, even differently next year. We're going to offer it hopefully two times. We're, we talked a little bit about that, um, maybe just some different ways to host that next year. But that, it was a very interactive time. There wasn't preaching, anything like that. But you came in, and if you came to that, it was, it was very much about engaging some images. So, so here's a couple of images from that. One was resurrection, and the other is about future hope, right? Today, we're, we're, we're talking a lot about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and how that looks and how that works. But if, here, here's the thing I think that we often miss, and I want you to track with me for just a second. If, if the gospel of Jesus, if the Christian life is just about Jesus coming out of the grave, and if it's just about going to heaven, then what about the middle ground? What about the middle part? I'm, don't, don't think for a second that I'm minimizing the resurrection. The resurrection's why you're here. I mean, if Jesus hadn't come out of the grave, we're all morons. No, I mean, really. Well, you know, why, why pursue life in Christ if he didn't come out of the grave? That makes no sense. But because he did come out of the grave. If it's just about me having a transaction with Jesus going into a baptistry or walking down an aisle and praying a prayer and saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, making that transaction. I, I, believe, I, I believe that you came out of the grave and, and it all makes sense now and I understand I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I, so I pray, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and, you know, boom. Okay, if that's all that Christianity is, then there really is no reason to keep living after that moment. It's all about what's going to happen in heaven. But something strange has happened to almost every one of us, I would say, maybe 100%, right? For me, September 2nd, 1990, I did that, and that was a long time ago. So what about the middle ground? Why do you think Jesus came in bodily form. I think for so many people, the reason that you do not experience the freedom of God and the, and the freedom of the Holy Spirit over your life and your decisions and your career and your parenting and your money is I think for so many people, the gospel was transactional. They came, they asked for forgiveness, and now they're just waiting. And I'm here to tell you, friends, that you can join a journey of experiencing the power of God in the middle ground. You don't have to wait to heaven to experience hope. You don't have to wait to heaven to experience deliverance from sin. You don't have to wait to heaven until you experience all the goodness of God. Oh, I don't know what it's going to be like. I, I know it will be perfect, but I'm telling you that, that in the middle ground, Jesus did something. He walked for roughly 33 years, he walked and he talked and he, and he led a life. And he told us that if I make you free, you'll be free indeed. So when the, when the Holy Spirit came onto the scene after the resurrection, he came and he filled us with himself. And I'm here to tell you, friends, that he did not fill you just to fail you. He didn't fill you just so you can have a little bit better life. He fills you to empower you. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about it, what I'm calling filters, okay? Uh, filters. See, that's a, it's a weird name for a sermon. Well, no, maybe not after you read Philippians 2 with me. Because you see, what we know about the life of Jesus is we, we have to piece it together from all the Gospels. 
And we get a great account from all the Gospels. But you're going to read a passage in Philippians 2 that, that is really, for the most part, best I can tell, the longest passage we've got describing in one box, if you will, a, a pretty, pretty hefty part of who Jesus was and how he looked at the world. Okay, so this is Apostle Paul writing this. And, he, and I'm going to start in verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I think that covers every, everybody, doesn't it? On the earth, under the earth, over the earth. He's got the name above all names, the Bible says in verse 11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this morning... I'm only going to hone in on, on one of these truth statements about the middle ground. How do we experience, here's the proposition this morning. How do we experience the power of the resurrection in the middle ground until we experience stepping over to the other side? How do we do that? Well, there's, there's, there's many ways, I believe, but Jesus walked and Jesus talked and Jesus embodied in himself what it meant to be one with God. So how does that work? Well, Paul uses this really unique word about attitude. Verse 5, I, he says, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, let me tell you something about attitude. Attitude is, is a word we use all the time, right? It's one of those things. You're very familiar with that. You know what it's like to have a bad attitude. I got I, I I had to run a few errands yesterday in, uh, in, in, in the Cool Springs area, uh, mall area for Michelle. We lived in Franklin right about 20 years. And I'm going to tell you all something. It's different now, <laughs> if you hadn't noticed. I made a covenant vow with God yesterday that I will never again on a Saturday go outside my house for anything that has to deal with Cool Springs ever again in my life. In Jesus' name, I said it in church, and I mean it right? It was awful. It was awful. And I want to tell you something. My attitude was in the gutter, right? If I had said the stuff that was in my head that came out my mouth, if I had said those things, y'all would have looked at me different, all right? I'm telling you, man, it was frustrating beyond belief. Attitude. We think about bad attitudes, but that's really not what he's getting. We all know what a bad attitude is, but we're not, that's not what he's talking about about what you and I think about attitude. Attitude in this particular moment is about an inner mindset with a target. So if you're taking notes, write that down. When, when, when Philippians 2.5 says that Jesus had an inner mindset, he had an inner attitude. It wasn't just positive thinking. It wasn't just positive speaking. He, it was an inner perspective of how he engaged the world. All right? Have this attitude which is in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. 
So I'm going to give you a, a truth statement this morning based on the power of the resurrection. And we're told now to have this mindset in us. And here it is. You ready? Jesus gave me freedom to choose my filter. Jesus gave me the freedom to choose my filter. That is my attitude. Your attitude is your filter. It's not just a good attitude or a bad attitude. Based on the life of Christ, in the middle ground, you and I have the ability to choose how we interpret the world. See, before Christ, before the power of the resurrection came into your life, you were powerless over the enemy. You were at sway you were going to do whatever your human nature wanted you to do. But now that you are in Christ, let me tell you what the good news is for you, friend. You got options. You got options. You got spirit options. You're not the person you used to be if you're in Christ. You're not obligated to live how you once lived. And so what we see in the life of Christ that Paul tells us right out of the gate, have this inner mindset in you. Jesus had, Jesus had this inner focus that all of the way he engaged the world and how he interpreted the world all fell under the alignment and the authority of God. And if you want spiritual freedom over your life, if you want to see God move over your life, you can, listen, you can exercise that freedom. That Jesus, Jesus gave me the freedom to choose how I engage the world. He had an inner target set to align with the Father. And that's what happens in the middle ground. That we fall under the authority and the convictions of who God is and, and what he has done for us. Now, let me ask you a different question. Why does this matter? I mean, what's, what's the big deal, right? Why, why, why would this even matter? Why would it matter that you have this mindset in you? Well, let me tell you why. Because when, when you have the mind of Christ based on the resurrection power of God, when you have that, in so many ways, you're bulletproof. You're bulletproof to lies. You're bulletproof to deception. You're bulletproof to taking the bait. Let me, let me explain it for you this way, all right? So when you look at the, the attitude and the, the mindset of who Jesus was, when you understand that your value and your worth and your significance, all of that is bound up in the glory of the Father. Then you stop looking at other people as an indicator of your value. See, so many of you walk in defeat because you constantly look for validation in somebody that was never going to give it to you. You constantly look for your boss to tell you you're good enough and you're smart enough. But Jesus didn't have that. He didn't have that bondage. Why? Because he was aligned with the Father. He was aligned with who God was, and he was aligned with his way. He's not looking to another person to do for him what only God can do. When you understand that your inner self has been redeemed and, and, and injected by the resurrection power of Jesus, then you stop looking for other people to do for you what only God can do. That's what Jesus embodied. He was so aligned with God that no person could, could ever, ever be for him what only the Father could be for him. When, let me give you another example. When, when you understand that Jesus has given you a spirit option of how you interpret the world around you, you quit looking at situations to bring you significance. 
You stop rising and falling by all of these different ways that life throws at you. I don't know if you've noticed in a long time, but life can throw you a lot of curves a lot of times. It's not exactly going off in the way you hoped it would go. Jesus didn't rise and fall based on the situation in front of him. Why? Because he was aligned with an inner target toward a holy father. And in so many ways, that makes you immune to having to constantly look at external things to bring you freedom. So that's what I mean when I tell you that in the middle ground, in the middle ground between the resurrection that Jesus came in my life, buried me, rose, rose inside of me, crucified the old person, put, it, put himself in there for a new person. I don't have to wait to heaven to experience the freedom that only Christ can bring. I don't need validation from any person or anything to have value. And when I learn that, that's how I can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does this play out in real life? Watch this. You ready for this? I told you that Jesus gave, gave me the, the freedom to choose my filter. It says Christ, Christ had this attitude in, in himself. So we're called in verse 5, have this in you that was also in Jesus. He walked in bodily form. Why did he walk in the middle ground? He constantly walked to show us, not just in theory, but in actual presence. In actual presence, what it would be like to be obedient to God. In every situation, you've got the Bible says that he was in all forms tempted yet without sin. You do not have a savior that doesn't understand. You don't. You have a savior that does understand. You have a savior that has been confronted with everything you've been confronted with, and he modeled for you in real time what that looks like. So when you face anxiety, guess what? When you face anxiety in the middle ground, you have an option. You don't have to take the bait. You don't have to take the bait. You ever have those feelings come up inside of you? Oh, man, what's going to happen? Oh, man, how's this going to go? Oh, what, what, what if this one time it doesn't work out? All my friends say it's going to be okay. Everybody says it's going to be okay. What if this is the one time when it's actually not okay? You ever have those things push up from the inside? Squeeze you? Make you feel like maybe, maybe just maybe it's going to fall apart this time. Guess what? You don't have to take the bait. You don't have to take the bait because you've got a Savior who's told you that his divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I don't have to take the bait in the middle ground. Why? Because I have resurrection power flowing inside my veins. This is way better preaching than y'all are letting on. I'm going to tell you. Like, really? I don't know what y'all have got going this morning, but like we're going to... We're going to start spiking that coffee with five-hour energy or something out there. This is the best news for some of you have heard for a long time. Because I'm going to tell you something. You start feeling rejected, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody in here feel rejected? Not if you've got resurrection power in your veins. How can you be rejected when the Bible says you're chosen? How can you be rejected how can you be rejected if the Bible says you're already chosen by the only one you, that really matters of real acceptance or not? It's impossible to be rejected when you know the truth because Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Last time I checked. 
So if you know the truth that I'm already accepted, then it's impossible. I don't need people. This is for, for those of you like me that, that suffer from achievement theology, you know, I'd have been a great Pharisee probably. <laughs> I think. I mean, I, I think I could have. For those of you that suffer with having to constantly strive, prove, do more, be more. I've often joked around, I think if God had a, had a refrigerator, I'd always be coloring pictures. This one, did you like this one? This one good? And I think he would say to me, oh, it's great, but I've got like a thousand from you. And they're all good. They're all great. And if you want to color another one, color another one, but you don't have to. See, when you're chosen by a holy God, you don't have to work to earn favor when it's already there. See, Jesus gave me the freedom to choose how I interpret the world around me. And that's where resurrection power flows into our lives. When you know the power of the resurrection in your life, are you afraid of death? If you, if you have resurrection power of Christ in you, death moves from fear to finally. Right? From fear to finally. Whew, finally. That's why I, I love doing funerals of godly men and women. I mean, I don't, I'm not wanting you to punch your ticket. What I'm saying is those are celebration moments, man. Those are celebration moments. Oh, we, we may hurt for ourselves, but when you see a saint finally go to in, in, in inherit their eternal reward, that's the day, man. That's the day we've been working for all of our lives, pushing for, holding out for. That's future hope. And I'm saying to you, death doesn't have to make us fearful. It can be finally, finally. See, this isn't, understand something, friends. This isn't just positive thinking. It's truthful thinking. It's truthful thinking. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, there's something that's happened in my lifetime, and I don't really know when it started. I can just see the effects of it. And I see it all over the American church, and it pops up all over the place. And even behind the scenes here at Clearview, we're working hard to figure out how we change it. And we don't have all the answers yet. But there's something that's happened, at least in my ministry lifetime, that somewhere along the way, the gospel became very centered around me. That if you listen to our songs, and I don't mean... Here at Clearview, I mean, just in general, if you listen to our songs, if you read our books, if you watch the vibe of American Christianity, it's almost as if Jesus came to make my bad days better and to be my BFF forever. Everything is centered around a retail version of everything that God did for me. One of the bumper stickers that I grew up watching all of my life when I was a young boy was God is my co-pilot. And I'm saying to you, he doesn't do that. Take that off your car if you have one. It's probably old by now. That was in the 80s. But you, you need to get that off your car. 
Because if God is your co-pilot, you need to change seats, brothers and sisters. That is nowhere in the gospel. Because the Bible tells me in Philippians, that in verse 7, that Jesus emptied himself. He poured everything out to live a life of alignment with God. So something's happened in this idea that, that Jesus is there to, to just make it all better for me. And I'm here to tell you, when you read Philippians 2, what you find is a Jesus who poured everything out and he modeled for us in the middle ground what full submission looked like. He modeled for us what total deliverance looked like. He modeled for us what it meant to be aligned with the Father. Because God, God, he, Jesus does make your bad days better. He does make your life hurts better. But I'm telling you, that's not the end goal of the gospel. The end goal of the gospel is that God gets all the glory for what he did to rescue people that could never rescue themselves. We could never rescue ourselves. And he stepped into a situation. He literally injected himself, the Bible says at just the right time, he injected himself into a situation that was hopeless without him. Jesus didn't come just to make your name great and your brand better. Jesus came to give you power so that you don't have to live under the constant defeat of the devil. He came to give you real spirit power in the middle ground so that you don't have to constantly get eaten alive by a very real enemy that seeks to destroy your marriages and your sex lives and your money and your attitudes and the way you view the world and your homes and your kids. And all the things you care about, that enemy is very committed to taking all that from you. And Jesus came to give you real spiritual power so that you can engage the world, know the truth, and the truth will set you free because what this enemy will do is he will have you constantly chasing your tail, looking for all these transactional ways to make life better and make life better and make life better. And you'll even do it to the church, man. You'll look for the church to make life better, make life better, make life better. When I'm telling you that the son says, if I set you free, didn't say the church sets you free, didn't say a job sets you free, didn't say money sets you free. He didn't say, you, you can, if you come to me, you'll have real power to engage the world around you. Real power to engage the world around you. So how do you do it? How do you do it? How, how does that actually work? You want real freedom? This is the way I wrote it down for you this morning. Force my filter to submit to the truth. So you've got an internal filter. You'll often see me, if you've been to Clearview before, you see me use this all the time. I think it's the best illustration out there. I think I would do well to point this out to you every single week of your life. That you have a frames, frames at which you imbue the world, and they help you interpret the world, and they help you get a, 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 a clear picture on what the world looked like. And so the day that I came to Jesus, those frames became washed in the blood. Those frames became sovereign frames. Those lenses became filled with love from a God that I never knew. Those lenses became filled with the Spirit that tells me who I am, not who people say I am. Those lenses became covered and tinted with a way of looking at all of humanity and every decision and everything that I want. And I'm telling you, in the middle ground, friends, you can find not just relief. You can find freedom. You can find freedom. Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Force your inner perspective. Have this attitude in you that's also in Christ Jesus. Have your inner targets submitted to aligning 
with God's view for your life. And I promise you that verse will move from a transaction to a transformation. If you align yourself with John 8, 36, it's not a transaction. It's a transformational way of living out this life. And he did it when he came out of the grave. And he did it again when he's put the Holy Spirit in you. And he's doing it now in the middle ground to give you real life and real perspective and real truth that you can build life on. You can do it if the sun sets you free. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'll be surprised how far it goes.